the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to the Tuesday, February 6th edition of The Ride Home. Once again, a glorious blue sky, sun shining high in the sky day. Excellent. It is the sunshine edition. It really is. The Ride Home. You get spoiled on this, don't Listen, you? I I got up this morning. I jumped out of bed. I yeah. was like, this is fabulous. Everyone's got a little spring in their step. Wow. I mean, after weeks and weeks I of love it. gray and dreary. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. How are things with you? Uh, things are just fine, John. Um, I've gotten involved in a TV show that is um, pretty tough. Involved. Yeah. And so I was I was up a little later than normal last mm, night watching mm, it. Mm. And you know when you watch something disturbing right before bed? Don't do that. You think? Do not do that. Lex, do you do that? Do you watch no. disturbing things right before bed? Not on purpose. Thank yeah, you. exactly. Go. No, wait. Exactly. I've been trying to get you to watch Julia. You right. nod your head and go, yes. I know, but I, I because I had I had to finish True the Detect- darkness. True, the darkness of True Detective, starring Jodie Foster. Oh, I'm not doing that. Man, I'm that's not. rough, you guys. No I am thanks. not recommending it. No, I'm not recommending it. So was it? But there, this is what's keeping me watching mm. it. it. You know, it drops every week. Yeah. So I, I've, I've, we've only done four episodes, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is, is too dark. Yeah, it's, it's way dark. But man, there's a lot of God conversation. What? Tell me, what? Really? There is a lot of God conversation. No kidding. And I'm just so interested in how yes. people outside the church talk about uh-huh. God. Yes. And so, yeah, that that's keeping me, uh, it's keeping Connected. me attached to it. Anyway, I just wanted you to know that as a palate cleanse, as soon as it was over, mm-hmm. uh, Lex, I did watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. As you should. Thank you. All right. Very nice. You Coming up on today's program in the five o'clock hour, we're going to talk about you two at the Sphere in Las Vegas. I mean, it is uh, it is an absolutely cutting edge technological feat. What is going on at the Sphere uh, with the music and the performance of you two? The Reverend Terry Tim is going to be with us. I bet I'll probably talk about the Grammys a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All that sure. sort of stuff. Um, also in the five o'clock hour, um, pro euthanasia activists are suing a Catholic hospital in canada what does what so that more they can help yes. more people to die right I, it's just, how dare you not unless kill people and has next door gotten out of hand yes <laughs> the next door app which i think is just too much and then in this hour um what's all the situation about taylor swift like it's some kind of government plot to get joe mm-hmm. biden reelected. elected sure i'm sorry that's reaching deep yeah that's reaching is. deep we're going to talk to uh matt malik about that in a couple minutes and all there's right. a lot more john very good all right a sunshiny Just edition Twenty thousand foot overview yeah exactly all right, good so uh let's get a little up close and personal with the uh, national news or the local news kath without further ado give us the top four at four For Tuesday, February 6th, 2024, number one, 
A federal appeals court in Washington found former President Donald Trump is not entitled to broad immunity from federal prosecution, delivering a landmark decision that would allow the criminal case against the former president involving the 2020 presidential election to move forward if the ruling is upheld. Mm. Now, the Manhattan hush money case... Another one against Donald Trump, once seen as having John the lowest stakes of the four prosecutions he's he's facing, could now be poised to make history as the first criminal case against a former president to be heard by a jury. Mm. Trump faces a slew of charges in two federal cases and in Georgia, including for alleged election interference and wrongfully retaining classified documents after leaving the White House. But those cases are at least months away from going to trial. He has pleaded not guilty in each of the four prosecutions. The New York trial currently start set to start March 25th, jumped to the front of a line um, after a federal judge in Washington last week indefinitely postponed a trial previously scheduled for March 4th on the judges, charges that Trump plotted to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Isn't it hard to keep track? The wheel is turning. Isn't it hard? Yes. That's a combination of CBS News and The Wall Street Journal from today. Number two. Speaking of former President Trump, former Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie did an exclusive news interview with ABC News. Um, Of course, maybe a month ago, he suspended his 2024 campaign. And he warned, according to ABC News, that if Donald Trump is reelected, his White House will face, quote, a huge personnel problem during a, quote, vendetta presidency. That is an interesting uh, interview. I find Chris, Chris, Chris Christie interesting. Whether I, you know, whether people would vote for him or not, I think is interesting. But in asked about what the uh, administration would be if Trump was elected, Chris Christie replied, "Mayhem, absolute mayhem." So you can find more about that at ABC News. Number three, Pittsburgh City Council just today approved a controversial proposal. We talked about this a bit last week to spend about $6 million for a citywide master plan overriding some members' strenuous objections. Opponents raised alarms about this huge price tag and the lack of a clear implementation strategy. Supporters touted the plan as a blueprint for future budget prioritization, zoning changes, and better collaboration among various city departments. Council authorized the city, John, to contract with two national consultants to to spearhead this comprehensive plan, which the mayor has said will guide the city for the next 25 years. Hmm. There are some very interesting details about that, so you can check out the Trib for more of them. And number four, former New York City firefighter Bob Beckwith, remembered for returning to service to search for survivors back on 9-11, has died at the age of 91. Now, you might say, I've never heard the name Bob Beckwith. Why are you talking about him? Well, Bob Beckwith, who had already retired on September 11th, 2001, suited back up after the terrorist attacks, and he was the one who was standing with President G.W. Bush when he was on top of the pile of rubble. Of course, that's an iconic photograph. Right. Um, I never realized that Bob Beckwith was retired at that point, Um, but he is remembered for standing next to the president in the rubble of the World Trade Center and for all of the work he did on 9-11 and after. He was 69 years old at that time. Yeah, really, really incredible. You can read about his life and um, all of the um, thanks that were just uh, thrown out today when people found out about his death. That is from ABC News, and that's your top four at four. Excellent. We'll uh, take a a quick break, uh, reconvene, and when we do come back, of all things, we'll be hearing a Valentine's story. Stay with us. Pittsburgh's Christian Talk. It's the ride home here on Word FM. 
Sarah Ekoff zylstra is back with us, senior writer and Faith at Work editor for the Gospel Coalition. Sarah, welcome back. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Always a pleasure to have you with us, Sarah. So today you join us, an advanced preview of a Valentine's story. Yes, I'm not even going to put this on our website until next week. And I actually reported it like six months ago, and I've been wanting to tell you ever since. Excellent. But we had to save it for Valentine's Day. Very good. Okay, so our story is starting in Great Britain in the 1960s, like just post-World War II, which is, by the way, about the time when Great Britain lost her fate. So they had a whole generation of people. All the boys um, were fighting in the war, so they did things like spend time in Japanese prisoner of war camps or parachute into Normandy or have to fight in on the continent somewhere. And so when those boys came back, they came back to homes that were like blown apart by rubble, the children sent to the country, the girls were working, um, you know, to decode German uh, messages. So this is a whole country that has pretty much stared at the worst the world has to offer. Um, And that is about the time when they stopped going to church so much. And their children would grow up to be sort of the first generation that would say, we don't have a faith. So our story starts with those children. So this is some kids whose parents had been, their parents had been in the war. And they grew up unsaved. They didn't go to church. They didn't hear very much about Jesus. And two of them met at a boarding school, both boys, and they were both named Charles. Um, But I'm going to call one of them Charles. And he's the one who um, always does everything by the book. He raises his hand at the right time. He knows the answers. Um, He studies and he, he does what you're supposed to do. And his friend is called Charlie. And Charlie does not do what he's supposed to do. Um, he doesn't do his homework. He always talks in class when he's not supposed to. He's constantly moving. Um, he, but they, they love each other, and they become really good friends. Um, they both love music. And I think also in the way that one, um, like you fill in each other's weaknesses, like opposites attract sometimes in friendships. And I think that's what happened with these two guys. Hmm. So they make their way through boarding school, which is what you when you're of a certain age in class in Great Britain back in the day. And then they both, they're done. And the one of them um, who has done all his homework um, is gets to enroll at Cambridge for college. And the other one who has not, Charlie, who has not done his homework very well, his grades are what he calls rubbish, and he goes to a business school. Hmm. Okay, so now we're going to follow Charles for just a second. Charles is at Cambridge, and he starts wondering about God. And he was just thinking, you know, I, I'm just wondering um, – what is going on with God? What is this all about? And so in very typical fashion, he goes to a Church of England church. He talks to a pastor. They meet together for six weeks. They work their way through John Stott's basic Christianity. Hmm. And at the end, John Stott wrote, here's an example prayer that you could do. And Charles says, I believe this, and reads this example prayer that John Stott wrote and becomes a Christian. Wow. Um, yes, it's amazing. Charlie on the on the me, other hand, has gone to business school. He is doing his homework there either, um, but he does start a music club, and he falls in love with a girl named Julia. He can see her at the back of the room um, on one of their meetings, and he just loved her at first sight, and he pursued her, and he asked her out, and she said no. He asked her out again, and she said maybe. He asked her out a third time, and he says only if you can find some other people to go with us. So he grabs <laughs> Charles, right? Remember good old friend Charles. He grabs him and another girl, and they go out for the night. Um, They have a wonderful time. Charlie's so excited, he skips off home, and Charles ends up walking Charlie's girlfriend home from the show because Charlie has exuberantly skipped off into the night with great joy that he gets to date this girl. (laughs) Okay, so 
Um, Charles, remember at this time, he becomes a Christian. And after a while, and he's, and he's sent to his friend, Charlie, the book, Basic Christianity, which Charlie threw into a corner. Charlie is certainly not a Christian. Neither is Julia. They date for four happy years of just um, unrestrained, like they have no boundaries for themselves, and they are very much living in sin, and they are um, oblivious to anything else. So Charles, on the other hand, is thinking maybe he should go into the ministry. But the trouble with this is that Charles's father, who is not a Christian, remember, has suffered through the war, was also an attorney, and he wanted his son to be an attorney, and he paid for law school, and Charles is at the end, like he is just about ready to actually become a lawyer. So he's thinking, well, shoot, if I have to become, not have to, if I if I become a pastor, that means um, it's financially expensive because my dad's not going to pay for me to go back to school. It's going to take a lot of time because I'm going to have to go back to the beginning of, of college and this time study theology instead of, instead of law. Um, I just don't know. And this is kind of always my path. Do I change now? So he lays before the Lord a fleece. And this is what he says. Lord, if you want me to go into the ministry, then Charlie has to become a Christian. And so does Julia. And he said, I thought Julia was even less likely than Charlie. That's why I put her into. Like, I thought there's probably no way these two people that I know who are not following the Lord or even interested in him come to know God. So he, he said, I don't recommend it, but that's what I did. I was young and I just laid that out. That's what has to happen. Okay, back to Charlie and, and Julia. Charlie is, um, he's majoring in marketing and he's a good talker. So he's doing a really good job. Um, he's got a, a little job that he works at. And this is back in the days when all the big movie theaters in England, which were packed during World War II because everyone was trying to forget about all their sorrows. Um, Now everybody's getting TVs and VCRs, and so all those big buildings, they're turning them into disco clubs. Hmm. So he is um, on that train, and he's got this marketing plan, and he's got all these ideas, and it's going really well. And he is now allowed, he was allowed to, they said, okay, you can hire somebody to start working on this with you. So he hired a person. And then his company said, actually, pull back. We're changing our minds. We got we to gotta pause this. So you have to fire that person that you just hired. Well, Charlie is emotional about this, as you can imagine, and furious. And he is so, he know, he's not a Christian, but he knows you shouldn't hire somebody and immediately fire them. He feels like this is really wrong and unjust. In his rage, he picks up Basic Christianity by John Stott, and he flips through it and he goes to the end to the part where it's man's response to God. And he said, in that night, I could just picture um, this mural in my boyhood chapel of um, Isaac on the altar and Abraham raising up his knife over him. And I knew that was supposed to be me. And I knew God had saved me. And in this confused emotional flash, he gets saved. What? Now, you might question this, but it has been, you guys, 40, 50 years, and this man is still a Christian. So what? that was a true salvation. It was so bizarre. <laughs> so he calls Charles and says to him, like, hey, I'm a Christian now. And Charles is like, how about you go talk to Dick Lucas, who is this pastor um, in your town in London, and just tell him what's going on. So he calls Dick and says, I'm a Christian now. And Dick says, great, let's talk about that in a couple weeks. You can come over and we'll talk it through. He's like, I got to talk about it now. Okay, so Dick Lucas says, you can come over. So he does. 
And he said, Dix has questions for him, like, who do you think Jesus is? What do you think sin is? Like, ba- very basic Christian questions. And remember, Charlie did not read the whole book. He just read the end of the book. So yeah. he doesn't know any answers. He makes them all up, one answer after another. He's just making them up. And he said, finally, at the end of like 20 minutes, Dick, Dick Lucas stands up and says to him, well, it, the, it does not matter what you think. What matters is what God says. And he opens up the Bible and explains to him sort of a broad overview of Christianity, Genesis to Revelation, and explains it to him. And then Charlie says, by the way, I'm engaged to be married to Julia, and we're getting married in 10 days. And Dick Lucas says, oh, well, you know, you don't have to, who has now got got a read on Charlie, you do not have to tell her everything. (laughs) Like, why don't we just take this a little bit more slowly with her? And maybe you don't have to be quite so crazy all about it with her. Um, Okay, okay, says Charlie. But what he doesn't say is it's already too late. He has already called Julia and told her that he was a Christian and that he was going to quit his job and become a pastor and that he had seen a vision of Abraham. All these things he says to her. You guys, it's like a week before their wedding. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So he says, Julia, we got to talk. Julia's bawling because she's like, what is happening to this guy? Um, so they meet and he explain. now he's talked to Dick so he can talk to Julia and say, oh, this is what, this is what Christianity is. This is what God has done. Um, and he explains it all to her and he gives, gives her a little pamphlet and she read it and she said, you know, I, I think it was the Holy Spirit, but I knew I couldn't marry him if I wasn't a Christian. I, I knew somehow that Christians have to marry each other. And if he, if I wasn't, I couldn't get married to him. And I really wanted to marry him. And I, and I read this thing and I prayed that prayer. She said, and, and I, I think I legitimately became a Christian. She said on Sunday, we went to church together and the words in the Bible were just standing out to me like 3d and Julia too, separately, but also a week before her wedding came to know the Lord, which is amazing. So now I'm going to follow this up. We have Charles and Julia who came to the Lord separately nine days before their wedding. Um, they grow up. They have a life that he does not become a pastor. He actually does becomes a lawyer. Um, they spend their whole lives volunteering in church, raising these four kids to the glory of God. One of their kids is now Andrew is now was born Andrew Wilson, who is um, wrote written a whole bunch of books and has a really important theological voice in the United Kingdom right now. Um, Yes, which is amazing. So one of their sons is um, affecting for good and the gospel, the the United Kingdom. Okay, so back to Charles. Here's Charles. He is, um, now he has to go to seminary because not only has God saved his friend Charlie, but he also saved Julia. So he's like, all right, I'm going to go to seminary. So he goes to seminary. Then he gets a job at a church in London. And um, at that church, there was a, another young girl in that church, uh, probably in her 20s. And she had also, like these guys, kind of had a saving faith moment when she was in college. And she was saying to her pastor, I wish we had some sort of a little class where people like me who are new to the faith could come and ask their questions. Couldn't we work on a little class like that? I feel like it would benefit a lot of people. And he said to her, that's a great idea, but I'm a busy senior pastor, but hey, I have this new guy coming on, Mr. Charles' assistant pastor, and he had kind of the same experience of you. Why don't you two get together and work on um, what a little class that you could have? So they got together, they talked it through, they decided they would have a little class where 
each one of them would take turns standing up to give a little talk, and then they would have all kinds of questions that people could ask, and they would answer. And then she said to him, do you know what? Since this seems like the beginning of a new life for these people, let's call it the Alpha Course. Oh, that's so cool. Yes. So since then, almost 30 million people in 70 countries have benefited from that class. That is so wild. I've taken, Isn't that insane? That's, that's incredible. I love it. I, I've taken the Alpha course. I love it. Have you? Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Oh, that is so, so cool, Sarah. Isn't that cool? <laughs> and do you want to know what? He married her. No. And then he did. He married that girl. And then they left their church after a few years. And you know, it's Nikki Gumbel that, that took the Alpha course <laughs> and really popularized it. So Charles and Trisha just spent the next 35 years being regular, ordinary, local church pastor and his wife. <laughs> That's that is a great, great oh, I story. Love it so, so much. So how many people have taken the Alpha course? Almost 30 million. That's outrageous. Yeah. Especially in secular Europe, right? Yeah. Well, that's across the whole globe. Yeah. That's just um, incredible. Yeah. Wow. What a great, wow. great story, Sarah. Thanks for that, Sarah. Listen, for people who yes. don't know the Alpha Course, fill in that blank. Tell us about the Alpha Course. Yes. So the Alpha Course, is, well, I mean, you know the beginning of it, right? It's yeah. for people who are asking questions. And that has shifted over time as our culture asks different questions. Um, but it is still alive and well in many different places. Lots of churches use it. It's a great evangelistic tool because you can say to people, yep. um, hey, let's come. And they'll have a little talk about something like, what is faith? Who is Jesus? You know, kind of these ma- major, it's a six-week course, so like six major questions. And then they break into smaller groups. Mm-hmm. And they, you can ask your question. There's no question that's too dumb. Um, it's, it's used a lot for newer Christians, but yep. also can be just for people who aren't Christians yet and are interested in learning about the faith. That so. is excellent. Excellent. Wow. Sarah from the Gospel Coalition. Sarah, talk to us about the Gospel Coalition as well, because, I mean, uh, what a great story. Uh, tell us where you're coming from and, and the work that you do. It's excellent. Yeah. So you can read that story and look at some of the pictures of these people. If you'd like to, next week, we're going to put it up on Valentine's Day at the Gospel Coalition. Um, our The whole purpose of the Gospel Coalition is to encourage churches and pastors. And my job there is to find stories of where God is at work in the world and to share them, stories like this one. Because some Sometimes I feel like you forget how much God is doing. Um, and I, when you hear something like this and you're like, only God, only God pulls these people to himself. Only God answers the most bizarre Gideon's fleece question in the world that your two unsaved friends would get saved. Um, only the Lord puts the right people in the right place. And it's so encouraging to hear that. So those are the stories we love to tell at TGC so people can be encouraged and remember the God you're serving is so big. Sarah ekov zylstra has been with us, senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition. Check out her book, Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. Thank you, Sarah. That's a great story. It made my day. Oh, yay. Good. Thank you. It's so fun to talk to you. Fabulous. Just a reminder, next Friday evening, the 16th of February, we'll be setting sail across the Allegheny, the Monongahela, and the Ohio with the Valentine's Dinner Cruise. We'll be there, Kathy and myself, uh, acting as your, not navigators, your um, Coast, first while hosts. Your hosts, hosts mm-hmm. right. Yes. Yeah. Like Julie McCoy, the cruise director. Right. 
Well, you've never worn one of those little hats. No. She Although, had a little jacket, too. Yeah. It'd be kind of nice to have a hat. Yeah. Wouldn't it? She had a cocaine problem, didn't she? Why'd you bring that up? I'm sorry. Jeez, it was just, just came into my head. I Here, haven't I'm thought talk- about Julie McCoy in a long time. I'm going to talk about pierogies and sorry. stuff, and you're bringing you know, something <laughs> else in the whole mix. Anyway, February 16th, wordfm.com. As I said before, a fairly inexpensive night out, and it promises to be off the charts with beauty and fun, lots of laughter as well. So come and join us. Right? If you've never gone out on the Gateway Clipper boats, here's the thing. If you would choose to go out on some other night that wasn't a Word FM night, you're going to pay more for the exact same Cha-ching. cruise. And you're going to be with people who are fun, and John and I are going to be there. You can come up and talk to us, uh, just sit by the window and look at the beautiful city Mm -hmm. go go by. Up top if you want to. It could be a little chilly. That's okay if dressed appropriately, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just you, your sweetie, or you and your family, or you and whomever, come on out and join us, okay? Looking forward to it. WordFM.com, February 16th, okay? Uh, John, do you think it'd be better? Do you think work would be better? Do you think all of us who work together would be better if we took a collective coffee break every day? Oh, oh, that's really interesting. At the same time, with one rule, you can't talk about work. Yes, I would love to do that. That's a great idea. Okay. What are you hearing this? Okay, so this is from the Swedes. The Swedes have something called fika. Okay. Uh, It's a once or twice a day ritual in which colleagues put away their phones, their laptops, and any shop talk, and they get together and they have coffee, pastries, or other snacks. Mm. Swedish employees and their managers say the cultural tradition helps drive employee well-being, productivity, and innovation by clearing the mind and fostering togetherness. That is excellent. Front page story today in the Wall Street Journal about this. Now, listen to this. Um, So what the Swedes are saying is that it gives everybody a chance to log off Mm -hmm. and to enjoy good food. So you don't get out like a couple bags of Doritos. People actually invest time in what they're bringing, right? Mm -hmm. So that when they put something out, it's really worthwhile. And it's not like everybody take a run to Starbucks. It's not that. It's something that you're doing that's bonding with your colleagues. So you're staying on site. I love it. And it's become harder because of people working offsite sure. since COVID, right? And so that's the people aren't getting the talk around the quote unquote water cooler mm-hmm. that they used to get. Um, and so FICA is becoming something that more people outside Sweden are considering. And the, the key thing for me is you're not talking about work. You're saying, right. how's your mom? What's going on with your kids? Or what's, you know, uh, give me an update, right? Yep. It's engagement. Look people in the eye and know them a little deeper because you're rubbing shoulders with them all day long. So what the heck, right? So each staffer, John, uh, takes turns hosting. They lead with casual conversation or a board game. A board game. A board How long game? is this going to last? I mean, really, we're, give me 15 we're, minutes. Are we playing Risk together or what? Trivial Pursuit. Um, but Ray Wang, who is the co-founder of an organization that uses FICA on a daily basis, said the thing that she loves about it, this is her, she's the founder of the company, but she has learned more about the passion of the people she's hired. Mm-hmm. And she said, they were already, in my mind, geniuses, So, I, or I wouldn't have hired them to do this work. But seeing how wide their interests are and what kind of people they are has really helped me to collaborate with them better. That's so it's so it's been good for the business. Yeah, I bet. it hasn't just been something that is like a social, right? You know, uh, like uh, 
tributary that people go down. It's actually something that's benefiting their daily work. It's very smart. Yeah. All so right. I, I'm kind of into it. Yeah, me too. Right. Okay. So we remember we used to do the Wednesday staff meetings. Yes. That well, that certainly was not enjoyable. Right. I mean, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I'm just trying to be that honest. That was all business. That was yeah, all business. Right? That was all business. All right. So maybe yeah. you want to bring a bowl of potato salad, and we'll all sit around and. Nosh. I mean, something. Okay. I mean, and you could be in charge of it one day, and Fine. you could bring your potato salad, Excellent. and I could be charged in charge another day, and I could Deviled bring. Eggs. Something, but here's the thing: you can't turn it into a "Oh my gosh, I have to like get the crock pot prod out and no, make no, you no, know no. pulled pork for simple. everybody." It's not that. It can be something simple, but there's something that's important to you, or maybe not important to you, but something that you're curious about that you're sharing with everybody else to get the conversation. I like it. I like it. I'm old enough to remember the Jesus Freaks from the 1960s. Mm, Guys I went to high school with were Jesus Freaks. Well, our guest today uh, has a different take on the Jesus Freaks. Matthew Malik is with us. He's a research assistant at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Here today to talk to us about Jesus Freaks in the Taylor Swift era. It's on uh, Christianity Today's website. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, John. Great to be here. So, Matthew, obviously none of us can go very far without seeing Taylor Swift. Uh, the, the Grammy thing the other night, of course, she made history uh, watching the playoffs in the AFC. Uh, she also made history in a different way there. But I, I really did not realize that there was some sort of uh, like conspiracy theory floating around about Taylor Swift that her ability to be seen on television at the AFC playoff games um, cheering on her boyfriend was somehow like a, a deep fake plot to get people to vote for Joe Biden. Yeah, Matthew, go into this. Please explain the details if of this. You, if you can. Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, some prominent right wingers, including uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and Jesse Waters, have said things like, that the Super Bowl might be rigged to uh, broaden Taylor Swift's platform when she endorses Biden, or that she might be some sort of Pentagon psyop, mm-hmm. uh, all sort of feeding into this idea that the bigger her star gets, the more her endorsement will help Democrats, particularly Joe Biden, as he sort of struggles with uh, securing support from younger people. Right. And so people actually believe this wackadoodle story. Yeah. Well, Either that or they're grifting. It's it's one of the two, mm-hmm. and I won't uh, speculate yeah. or try to put people into camps on that. But it's certainly out there in some online right-wing circles. Yeah. Okay, so I guess I just don't get where this comes from. I, I mean, I, I, Taylor Swift is not particularly political. I mean, I know she has said them, some things in, in, about voting um, in the last, I don't know, six, eight months or so. But why – what's the link here? Well – I mean, her star is, is is unusually bright for a musician in the 21st century where our culture is so fragmented. She really has hold on a lot of people and mm-hmm. now has uh, picked up a new sort of base that with dating Travis Kelsey. Um, I mean, there's certainly speculation that her endorsement would carry some weight. I'm not sure how much I believe that, um, but just it, it, it sort of feeds into this sort of online right idea that everything's kind of a manufactured conspiracy against us. And uh, like I said in my piece, it's unfortunate that we allow narratives to be crafted in such a way when there are more creative ways that we could take this, like how happy Taylor Swift seems in a traditional masculine, traditional relationship with a masculine man. 
Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's far right. Now, of course, far left is not immune from wackadoodleness. Talk to us about that example in your piece as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just think it's a little unfair for uh, certain people on the left to be casting uh, the Christian right as weirdos. Uh, The right may have its problems, but uh, I'm not going to be called a weirdo by someone who thinks a man can become a woman. Um, That's not, you know, that that would have been considered weird for basically all of human history across cultures, across time periods. And because the left has such strong institutional control in our culture, they're able to normalize their weird beliefs much quicker than we are and cast opposition as bigots and all other sorts of bad names. And uh, I just think that that institutional control prevents us from looking at the people on the left as weird and sort of, creates this unfair narrative where the weirdness is only on segments of the right or where certain Christian beliefs that have been common in the Western tradition for centuries get portrayed as weird just out of nowhere over the course of a very small number of years or a decade. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. And and perhaps I'm more sensitive to the weirdness on the right because that's where I find myself. And so I just, you know, it, it's sometimes equal measures of uh, cringe and uh, embarrassment and the need to correct. I, I don't know what. But um, at the same time, we're surrounded by, we are deeply surrounded by the weirdness on the left. Yeah, and, and we're forced to nod our head or, you know, they want us to and go, yes, you are correct. This insanity is truth. Yeah, because as you're saying, the culture makers are largely from the left. Right. And that's that's where I sort of identify this difference. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are some people, you know, on Twitter slash X on the right with these crazy views But, I mean, you look across the Ivies or across much of the media, and you would find insanity on the left that, as you're saying, we just kind of have to nod our heads to unless we want to risk our jobs or our lifestyles. And um, I think that that does not help us to see what we are up against on the left because we take it as so normal. But it's not, and we shouldn't be afraid to push back against it. Right. What about the world for the rest of us? Neither far right nor far left, loving God, showing up, trying to do the right thing, raising a family, that seems to be largely swept under the carpet. In many ways, there's a lot of invisible sort of muted voices out there in the culture. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, social media tends to amplify the extreme voices that go looking for engagement And uh, those of us who are just trying to, you know, humbly serve the Lord, uh, you know, we're not getting all the clicks and all of that stuff, um, which is very unfortunate and pushes people more to the extremes. So for those of us who are looking to do the right thing, who are looking to live for Jesus, I think, yes, like we need to go out into the world and live it. um, But we also shouldn't be afraid to engage with the culture because that's the only way that we're going to change it. Right. Mm -hmm. I also think it's important to say that uh, in a, in a, I'm looking for a reasonable place in in uh, the current society's conversation. I would like to find, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the middle all the time of the because I, I yeah. a lot of times I think I would lead right. Most of the times I think I would lead right. Sometimes I think I would lean left. But what I'm looking for more than anything is just a reasonable conversation, a slice of sanity. Yes, in this crazy, crazy time. Um, can you talk about that? Are, are you also like me, longing for something such as that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I identify more with the right as well. 
Um, and it's been unfortunate to watch the right kind of drift into some of this stuff and to be unable to sort of break free from, you know, the Trump victimization and conspiracies and everyone's always out to get us. You know, there's a time not that long ago when the right was sort of where where winners were. If you were successful and ambitious and wanted to climb the ladder, the Republican Party would have been the place for you. And I think we should aspire to get back to that place where those of us who are driven and ambitious and successful see a place for themselves in the Republican Party rather than this culture of victimhood and losing. Because if we have this culture of losing, we're going to keep losing. And the left is just going to make further and further inroads. So I would like to see the right revitalize itself as a party of, hey, like, we think America is a great country and we're going to help you live the American dream out. And you can do it through us. We're going to help you. We're going to show you, you know, we're going to set up a community for you and your family to thrive, uh, ideally with uh, a strong religious backing. And we're going to help, you know, lay that groundwork for America being brought back to a place where anyone can come and succeed and thrive uh, so long as you're willing to work hard and do things the right way. Mm, that's well said. We're talking with Matthew Malik. He's got a piece at CT, Jesus Freaks in the Taylor Swift era. Matthew joins us from the um, Ethics and Public Policy Center. Matthew, talk about the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Um, you're a young man uh, engaged in a lot of different work there. What is it we need to know about the work that you do and the team of people around you? Yeah, EPPC is a great spot. I think there's a lot of scholars here who are true people of faith and looking to do the right thing. Uh, I've worked on some great projects, including work with the pro-life movement, uh, pro-family policy. Um, and I think that EPPC is a place where I would advise people to who are looking for that uh, Christ-based sanity to look, because that's the work that our scholars are doing. Um, it's It's grounded in facts, it's grounded in reasoning, but it also has a gospel-based message at the center, which gives it a great combination of sort of the mind and the soul coming together. And and that's the that's the kind of movement that I want to be a part of. So mm-hmm. I think you can see the great spot doing great work. Yeah, Excellent. I appreciate that. Matthew, before you leave us, uh, we've never met before. Uh, do you have a pick for the Super Bowl? Are you a sports fan and are you a Taylor Swift fan? Yes, I'm a huge sports fan. Um, I, I think the Niners are going to win. Uh, mm-hmm. Vivek will be proven wrong that the Super Bowl is not rigged <laughs> for the Chiefs. Yes. Uh, Taylor Swift, she's got some good songs. I can't lie. I'm not a huge fan, but she's got some bangers. Sure. Yeah, I think you have to acknowledge the historicity of what she's doing. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you feel confident picking against the Chiefs? I, well, I feel confident. I think that... Uh, Ironically, I'll be the conservative rooting for the team from the Bay Area against Middle America. Mm-hmm, That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, snack preference for the game. Oh, wise question. Oh, boy. I think uh, just, you know, some classic buffalo wings. There buffalo wings. How can you go wrong? Yeah, you know, that's the uh, that's the number one snack in America for this year's Super Bowl. Well, there he is. Huh? Mm-hmm. Raise the flag for the buffalo that's wings. That's right. He's on the good team. Matthew, pleasure. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. You as well. Matthew Malik, uh, Research Assistant, Ethics and Public Policy Center. Really, it's an excellent piece at CT, Christianity Today. Jesus freaks in the Taylor Swift era. Blessed are those who are weird for righteousness sake, not just dabbling in baseless conspiracy theories. Check this out. 
Russian cosmonaut Oleg Kanenko has broken the world record for the most cumulative time spent in space, um, Russian space agency said on Sunday. The 59-year-old astronaut has now spent more than 878 consecutive days in space. Really? That's a... 878. I had no idea there was anyone who had mm-hmm. been in space that long. How about that? He says, I thought uh, we were hovering around like a year's time. That's two plus years here. I fly into space to do what I love, not to set records. I've dreamt of and inspired to become a cosmonaut since I was a child. That interest, the opportunity to fly into space, to live and to work in orbit, motivates me to continue flying, he told Tass. I mean, he's on board the space station. It began September the 15th of 2023, right? Wow. Uh, That's really something. That's fabulous. By the end of the expedition, uh, the cosmonaut is expected to become the first person to accumulate a thousand consecutive days in space. International Space Station is one of the few areas in which the United States and Russia still cooperate closely following Moscow's invasion of Ukraine in February. And uh, the hope is that the space station stays afloat for many years because China has their own space station. Mm -hmm. And they're saying when this space station has reached the end of its life, most likely that international cooperation will disappear, that each country will continue to have their their own own space space station. station. Yeah. Not good because, you know, there's been many people, Indians. I mean, you name the number of nationalities that have been aboard that space station over the many years it's been up there. It's been a boon for good for good relations and scientific right. discovery. Right, right. Anyway. If you were afforded the opportunity yes. to. Yes, 100 percent to go up there and to live up there. Yeah. Lexi, w- if you doubt. were afforded the opportunity, would you go to the space station? 100 percent. Yes. Thank you, Lex. I mean, it would be, a, believe me, you probably get sick a lot. It'd be kind of messy, deeply uncomfortable, very weird. But the idea of being up there and seeing the earth from where it is and being part of something that's so larger than yourself, would you do that? Never. What? You guys, I just have to say, I've got zero interest in that. Really? Yeah. No, I wouldn't do that. Okay, I, I get it. Because like I said, all those aforementioned things. I Maybe think... I've watched um, For All Mankind too much. Could be. I just watched Gravity. I told you that. Yeah, right. The Sandra Bullock, George Clooney. Now, that's a pretty tense situation, oh, if I remember, all tense. right? They're up there working on the space station. Oh, is that what they're doing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And NASA goes, hey, we've just had uh, word that there's been um, a collision in space uh, between uh, uh, two satellites. And so a debris field is headed your way. So you might want to take uh, cover inside the space station. Well, they're still out there, and all of a sudden, this debris field of, you know, metal comes flying at them thousands of miles an hour. It decimates the space station and them, and then how do you get back to Earth? It's a great story. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Beautiful day here in western Pennsylvania. Lovely. We're getting spoiled here. I mean, the sun is shining once again. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's a pre-Super Bowl week. Right. I mean, it is Super Bowl week. Right. It's pre-the-game. So, have you given any thought? None. Okay. 
No. I mean, you know, a little bit. I, I don't eat wings on a regular basis. Yeah. But I think I'm, I would like to do that on Sunday. Would you? Yeah. Okay. I love a wing. But yeah. They, I know they're like, they're really unhealthy. Right. They are. They are delicious. So though. incredibly delicious. Yeah. So I would, the little thought I have, that's my only thought. Yeah. Let's do a wing. Okay. What time's the game? Do you know? Uh, probably 6.15. Okay. Lex, do you have a plan for snacks? Mm-hmm. Um, so wings in your forecast? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I haven't uh, procured anything yet. Well, I'm just saying I'm bringing it up because it's Tuesday and you guys need to get your plan together. Do you have a plan? Uh, It's I'm I'm formulating it as we speak. Okay. Well, I I appreciate the nod. Right. A little Uh nudge. Right. Yeah. Wings in your forecast. Um, I don't know, but I've already decided I'm making a dip. A dip. Yeah. I'm making a I'm making a dill dip. Really? Yeah. Uh huh. So it's a recipe I've been looking to try for a while. I think it might be suitable for a carrot, celery, pepper uh-huh, type uh, of like thing. A yes, thing. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely going to be on the menu, but I haven't gotten to the main dish okay. yet. How about nachos? Like uh, you know, I love nachos. Me we too. had nachos the other night. They were weren't excellent. They so good. Really, they were. They were so good. I kept on coming back. It made me think, why don't I do this? Uh, more often? Like, I think maybe I should do nachos. Mm-hmm. I think I should. The nachos. So that, that was there was beef on there, yep. right? Cheese, yep. jalapenos. I didn't do beef on the ones we had. There was no beef on there. It was vegetarian. Oh, well, yeah, they were excellent. It was cheese, avocado mm. was there, olive, so good, tomatoes. It was really yeah. I'm gonna nosh yeah, on that. I think right? I might have to do that. I mean, if you did nachos and wings, what else? You need? Nothing. And you're doing a little dip thing. Are you doing a party? Or are you staying home? I'm staying home. Me too. You know why? Because it's wanna... Sunday night. Look, if if it's a, if the Steelers are in the Super Bowl, okay, then I guess I might go to a party. But if Monday was a national holiday, as it should be, it has been proposed. For all you know people, that it, I'm totally on that bandwagon. Yeah, yeah. Then I would go out, but I don't want to go out Sunday night. Right, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so it's just going to be you and your wife. And, yes. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. You know, if um, somebody stops by from the fam. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm just very content to be you know in front of the TV, relaxed. It's the end of the day. And, and how much time are you uh, tuning in, like pre yada yada? I'm not. Neither I got to be honest. If it's my team, oh, I'll, I'm I'll, in there all day long. I have the pregame thing on the whole. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, no. No, no, no I'm no. going to tune in at maybe five forty-five. Yeah, that's smart. All right? right, when I have the snacks arranged, and yeah. then I'll I'll be in. Right, Not and I too think it's, I think it has every indication of being a terrific Super Bowl. You think? Yeah, I do. All right, I hope so. I mean, <laughs> I was hoping for the lion. If the lions were in there, you're kind of thinking oh, it might have been a listen, blowout. I would have had a special like blue and silver party if yeah, the lions were right there. But okay, so the 49ers and uh, Brock Purdy. I lo- I want Mr. Irrelevant to win the Super Bowl. You do. So I really love that idea. For. I think that's who I'm leaning for. Are you picking? You saying I'm, I'm saying it's Tuesday, and I have You're my picking. I have my feelers out. But wait a second, how many Super Bowls has the 49ers won? Uh, five, I think. Okay, I know, so, I know. There's I mean, a good reason to root the against the Steelers' them. inactivity of as of late seven years uh, in the Super Bowl mm-hmm. category. Uh, other teams are catching up. Yep, that's what happens. Are surpassing us. So you're going to be behind the Chiefs. Well, I mean, it's hard to uh, Patrick Mahomes. I know. I mean, he's he's really beautiful to watch. He is beautiful to watch. So, but I don't know if I'm rooting for him. And plus, I love the coach. Oh, I mean, who doesn't love Andy? He's like a little walrus there <laughs> on the sidelines. He's just, he does look he's like a an animal. Sweetheart. I, I love know. him. You know, he just kind of right. stands there, and you know, I don't know. I have no skin in the game. I don't either. So, Lex, do you know who you're rooting for yet? 
No, I I could care less either way. Oh, you're oh so you're not even going to watch it? No, well, I do. You're not going to watch? No, I'm going to watch. Okay. okay. That I don't I don't know. It's not my Enough. team, so I just don't really care who wins. I just okay. want to watch a good game, really. How, I, I read uh, somewhere that I think a quarter of the country is going to be betting on the game. That's sick. I'm, That's not healthy. No, of course Seriously, not. that is not a good sign no. for our civilization. Imagine how much money is going to change hands on Super Bowl Sunday. And people are going to lose their, they're going to lose their house betting on the Super Bowl. Again, let me say, it's the most exciting sporting event of the year. And that's not enough for us. So right. we have to find a Fantasy, way. We have to find major. a way to make it more exciting. So we're going to bet on it. It's just we're we're sick. I, to me, that's not exciting. That's like a you'd be sick. What if you bet like a thousand bucks or whatever you know, and your team lost? And you, I don't know. It just seems we got plenty of time ahead. We're, we're going to talk about that uh, about betting uh, on Friday. Yeah, we are. Okay? Yeah. and make our picks for the game. Yeah, which don't include betting. Right, but. And there, does there anybody have a, a good recipe? There could be a wager of a different of a different kind. Oh, okay. All right. uh, between the three of us, okay, right. what like it could involve like someone has to you know do something, wear uh-huh. something, yeah, something. Yep. Oh, wait, so, humiliation, yep. maybe. Oh no! Oh, I'm just saying it's out there. <laughs> Heck, oh, I don't like this because I you know something's coming. It's out there. Coming up next, uh, we're going to turn our attention to what's going on out in Las Vegas, and we don't mean gambling. We actually mean the sphere. U2 has been in residency at this unbelievable venue in Las Vegas. Never been interested to go to Vegas until now. Me too. But now I would really like to yeah, make the well, trip. It's going to end soon though. Yeah. Terry Tim uh, has made the trip and he's going to talk about what it was like to be out there. Also, we'll talk about the Grammys and um, is there a God who sings over us? That's next. The Reverend Terry Tim on the right home. emotion. And emotion, as believers, draws us closer to Christ. Terry Tim is with us from Christ Community Church of the South Hills, here to talk to us about you 2 and the Grammys. Terry, welcome back to the show. Hey, John, it's great to be with you today. And you are so spot on in terms of music helping us connect to our emotions. Even me right now in this moment, hearing uh, a little bit of Streets of No Name, uh, Boy, I got emotional because mm-hmm. last last week actually I was in Las Vegas and I got to see you two at the Sphere, <laughs> and, and just hearing those opening chords of that song, it's like it drew me back immediately to what my experience was like last Wednesday night with eighteen thousand people in this amazing um, amazing piece of architecture and technology and innovation and creativity fabulous and, and quite frankly yeah it touched it touched me in a deep deep place so so thank you for drawing me back to that experience well, truly the pleasure is ours because you never want to pass up listening to you too okay so terry for the uninitiated talk to us about you two and their residency in what's known as the sphere in las vegas yes uh, the iconic band u2 has been doing a 40 show residency 
I began in October. It's concluding this month, 40 shows in this brand new venue called, it's actually, I learned it's not called The Sphere. It's just Sphere. Hmm. There's no the to it okay. officially. <laughs> Which is, I think what I what I heard it's it was a two point nine billion dollar construction. Wow, that's so cool. And it's the most phenomenal facility I've ever been in in terms of the acoustics, a perfect sound, but even more so the visual. Uh, the whole the whole thing is a visual screen, and you two for for their entire history as a band, they've been very very careful to cultivate environments with with visuals yeah. they they not only tell a story with their their music and their lyrics but they're incredibly intentional with uh, the graphics and the visuals that they use and the sphere uh was a great canvas for them to bring their music and their message to uh 18,000 people times 40 different shows. And I got to experience it last Wednesday night with my uh, with my 15-year-old grandson, Christopher. Oh, wow. How cool. Okay. So then the Sphere and U2 and their imagery and sound sensibility sounds like a match made in heaven. 18,000 people, the capacity. Talk to us about what, what I'm always, I always love the first note the first step, because it sort of casts the vision about what you're about to see as a concert gets underway. So talk to us about that. When the, Did it happen as house to half black and then what? Yeah, house to half black and then opening drum beat to Zoo Station. And it's really interesting. U2 has a different drummer sitting in with them, Larry Mullen Jr., who has been their drummer since day one, has had some physical injury, surgery, and he's not playing. So they have a guy, a Swedish guy, sitting in with him. And the kind of the opening guitar riff from Edge and and the drum beat, uh, uh, it's, it's bombastic. Mm. And it catches, I mean, you, you literally catch your breath and, and you know what's coming. And they and they capture your mind and your emotion and your energy, and it, it is just it is phenomenal to to be in that kind of space with people who are connecting to the band, connecting to the music, connecting to themselves and one another, and I would actually say connecting to God as well. The sphere might be a secular uh, environment, but for me and for many in that space, it evoked transcendent experiences with the creator God. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, so, of course, when people think about Las Vegas, you think about, you know, uh, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin in the Rat Pack, you know, at the height of uh, 50s or 60s entertainment. But it is pure showbiz. That's Las Vegas, right? Pure showbiz. So in the midst of showbiz, there's you two in this modern-day sphere. But in many ways, what you're saying, it's a cathedral and God was in the center. Absolutely. And the thing, one of the things that has helped me uh, in my own faith journey, you two has been very critical on this, is that they they don't believe in a secular sacred divide. Mm -hmm. They believe that God is God of all. And while I, I don't, I don't, you know, align up with everything that, you know, Bono and the guys in YouTube believe, sure. but I know they, they follow Jesus and they, they believe that it all belongs to God. And everything belongs to God. And so they have no trouble in, you know, again, in a in a space like that in Las Vegas of saying that this is a cathedral. This is a place where we leverage all the technology that's at our hands. But but it's more than that. It's connecting. One of the things that that uh, Bono said during the show, 
And I'm telling you that the technology in this place, it, it surpasses anything anyone has ever experienced. But he, but he said this. He said, this technology isn't work, worth a blank. I won't say that on the air. But he said, this technology isn't work, worth a blank if it doesn't bring us closer to the music and closer to one another. Hmm. And I think that's, for me, that, that says it all. Like, music has this power to connect us to ourselves, to one another, and, and to our God. Who creates music and and song and the power that we find within it? That's so beautiful. Okay, so I don't need Bono to be my pastor, my musical pastor, but of course, as you said earlier, he is very transparent about his faith in Christ. What about that? I mean, for a secular audience in a secular perspective, I'm sure there were believers in the audience, of course, but did it feel in some ways like church? One of the things that. Uh, Bono has been masterful is curating a space for people, again, to connect to the music, to connect one another, and in subtle and not so subtle ways, inviting people into transcendent experiences. So quite often during the show, there will be a call and response, Mm -hmm. uh, just like you would have in a call to worship or a responsive reading. There will be opportunities where the congregation in quotes the the gathered uh, spectators they have an opportunity to sing to lift their voices where bono would put the mic aside and you would hear 18,000 people in unison singing one of the things too that even even the way they ended the show as they're walking off the stage they're playing uh they've recorded a new song along with uh Brittany Howard uh and the song is actually called Glorify. And so they're walking off the stage and this song is playing all built around this theme of glorify, glorify, really? glorify. So in, in subtle ways and not so subtle ways, I think uh, the, the guys in U2 uh, create space for anyone to connect to, to the transcendent. But those of us who follow Jesus, there are some particular ways. One of the one of the the biggest visuals that they used in the sphere was a cross. And quite often uh in 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 the show this cross would appear on the on the screen of the sphere and again you could say hell it's just a visual image but for those of us that have faith it's a powerful reminder of the redemptive work of God in our world. Terry Tim is with us from Christ Community Church of the South Hills, just back freshly from Las Vegas, where he witnessed you 2 They are in a residence uh, for a short while in Vegas. So, Terry, uh, earlier in the conversation, you referenced your 15-year-old traveling companion, uh, Fresh Eyes. You and I, of course, have seen you uh, 2 multiple times, you many, many multiple times. Talk about that conversation pre- and post-concert with, um, with your young traveling companion. Yeah, my, my, my grandson is a, uh, has picked up the guitar over the past couple of years, and he's become quite a good player. And one of the interesting things, I, I find this very interesting, music today uh, connects generations. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I'm trying to imagine when I was 15, going to a rock concert with my grandparents. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. there's no way. no way. Like, I can't even... I don't even think I ever went to a concert with my parents mm. like that one generation. Right. 
but but we share some musical tastes. And as a, an aspiring guitarist, I mean, he's learning all these licks from classic rock songs from the seventies. Sure. So he's in his Zeppelin and all that kind of stuff. Excellent. But one of the one of the gifts I said I said to Christopher I said you want to watch Edge like Bono is the front man he, he may be the heart of you too but but Edge is the soul mm-hmm. and so watch him carefully watch not only not so much his technique because he's not the the greatest technical guitarist but but he's the soul he's the sonic soul of yep. that band. And and so kind of just watching my grandson's eyes kind of light up when seeing like, oh, my gosh, look, look at the sounds that this guy is producing, the energy, <laughs> the passion that he has for the music. So cool. It was it, it was beautiful. That's cool. Fabulous. So what's your takeaway? Um, you've seen you two around the world. I, I know on sabbatical, you, you, you popped in and out. And of course, multiple times here in the States um, on a scale of one to 10. Is it even you know fair to say that, you know, uh, with your experience? Yeah, it, it I, I've seen them seven times, and uh, it was it was up there. It wasn't my top um, because it still had a little Vegas feel to it. Sure, it's Vegas. But, uh, but I'd never seen so much again, like kind of the the connection between visual, sonic, mm. and emotion. And 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 this is the connection piece for me, like as a follower of Jesus. Mar- Martin Luther said this. He, he said, the one who sings prays twice. <laughs> the one who sings prays twi- twice. And as as I think about it, like music impacts my mind. It engages my body. It connects me to emotions. You two typically near the end of their set, they play with or without you. Yeah. And. And and even even one of my daughters who was here, she said, "Did you cry, Dad?" I'm like, "Absolutely!" <laughs> like, tears well up in my eyes when I hear that song. It 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 connects me, like not only to the memories of seeing them, but that idea of with or without you and my own faith journey, like my own struggles with God. Like God, I can't live with you because there's so much tension. I don't I can't I don't understand your mind. You're you're mysterious to me, but God, I can't live without you. Amen. Like and it was just that reminder of how how significant my walk with Jesus is and how complex it actually is. And uh, it was another opportunity kind of to to seal that body, mind, soul and spirit. So, uh yeah, for me the the sphere became a cathedral where I could I could pray, I could sing, I could connect with uh, the God who wants to connect with me. And uh, it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful day. (laughs) Last thing before uh, we move on to a different subject. But, you know, in this increasingly secularized age, it's, uh, of course, anything's possible. But it's hard to imagine something like you two on the horizon anywhere in the near future, right? That they are so transparent. Bono, uh, with, with his Christ-like, you know, imagery and conversation, and, you know, he makes no bones about his Christian faith. Uh, and, of course, you know, he's also uh, a, a deeply sort of, you know, man of the world as well. You know, you mentioned, you know, language and whatnot. But, you know, what they do and how they proclaim their faith, uh, it's hard for me to imagine we're going to see this anytime soon in our lifetime or maybe in the next generation or two. Yeah, I I hope you're wrong. Me too. Uh, but, but I don't I don't know that you are, because one of the things that a band like you two does is they hold together the beautiful and the broken, which is part of our Christian story, right? But but I do think you know 
one of my big critiques and, and I'm, I'm a part of the, the, you know, I'm a worship leader. I'm a musician. I, I do this, I, you know, professionally in my church is that so much of modern Christian music, it only focuses on the beautiful and, and we live in a very broken world and God is very concerned about brokenness. And so I think the challenge for me as a pastor and as a, as a Christian musician is like, how do we hold together both the beautiful things of this world, but also the brokenness? We we can bring that all. I mean, I, I had a friend of mine once who said, I don't like songs in minor keys. They make me sad. <laughs> and, and, and minor key does evoke kind of sadness sure. and grief and loss and lament. But I would, I would posit that most churches rarely do a song in a minor key mm-hmm. because we want to stay focused on the the beautiful, the good, you know, the hope that is to come, which is a great thing. But music, and, and this is one of the things that I think U2 does brilliantly, they can lament. We, we They can hold the space. And I, I think if churches would do more of this, particularly in our day and age, I, I, think, I think we'd be healthier as a church and we'd be able to be individually and communally more authentic with God and ourselves and one another about about the struggles uh, in our world. And just because you follow Jesus doesn't make things are going to be easy, but 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 his peace and his presence can carry us through even the hard. And it's OK to it's OK to, to live some life in a minor key. Mm, sure is. Terry Tim, Christ Community Church of the South Hills, uh, just back from Las Vegas. Terry, um, I, I wish I uh, was with you on that journey. Wish we could see uh, you two uh, in the sphere. But, of course, uh, they're going to be gone here before you know it. Anyway, let's take a quick break. We come back. Uh, join us because the Grammys were just on Sunday evening. And say what you will. I mean, the Grammys, uh, a hot mess, but also a reflection of who we are. There were some beautiful moments. So, Terry, uh, as a musician, someone uh, who loves music, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the Grammys as well. So stay with us, okay? Look forward to it. Fabulous. Listen, you're listening to The Ride Home. It's Pittsburgh's Christian Talk on 101.5 Word FM. That's W-O-R-D. Sunday night, the opening strains of that song, Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, sent chills, I think, across America. If you were tuned into the Grammys and you know that song, you love that song, it, it made a flourish, a reappearance in popular culture this year with the, uh, the cover by Luke Combs, a, a country star, uh, along with some weirdly uh, critical backlash as well. But there she was on stage at the Grammys, Tracy Chapman with Luke Combs. And I'll tell you, it was a celebration. It was just a, a, a huge, and I, I don't mean to overestimate this, a huge cultural moment for music lovers. Terry Tim is with us from Christ Community Church of the South Hills. Terry, do you feel the same way I do? When I heard those opening chords, I, I got chills. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, th- that song is so iconic, 
It's hard to believe it's 35 years ago. And like how many how many people who, who only know the Luke Combs version, right? <laughs> they were introduced to this fabulous song. Yeah. But then, you know, the Grammys pulling together Tracy Chapman, who wrote that song 35 years ago, who hasn't performed for years no. in public. And to bring them together was magic. It sure was. Magic. <laughs> and one of the things that, that that touched me so deeply, and again, I'm like, I'm not like this super emotional guy. I'm an Enneagram 3. I'm emotionally challenged. Like, <laughs> But... I had tears in my eyes, like almost immediately. And one of the things that watching both Tracy's face and Luke's face, like they were like, like Luke was in awe. Like he, like part of him, I, I would have loved got in his head. Like he's like, I am standing on stage singing this song with a genius songwriter and performer. Yeah. Like I've sung this song a hundred times, a thousand times, but this is Different. It sure was. I mean, you know, whoever directed the show, that was masterful because the lights came up and it was just on the guitar and the hands. And then as Tracy Chapman started to sing and the crowd exploded, the, the look of joy on Tracy Chapman's face. I mean, yes. that was incredible. And, you know, and, and Luke Combs reading about him and saying, you know, he used to ride in his dad's uh, F-150 Ford pickup truck listening to Tracy Chapman on cassette with his dad. And there he was on stage with her. I mean, that's so cool. Again, bridging generations bringing different demographics together. I, I just got to read this. I, I read this. This is a quote from Katie Crosby. And, and she said this, a black queer artist and a white country singer come together to sing a song about belonging. Hmm. America is starved for connection across divides. And that performance shows music has the power to heal. Yeah. <laughs> like, that 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 music, that performance, I think, I hope and pray, planted some seeds like in the midst of all of the divide. Like, oh, my gosh, what would it be like if we could live together a little bit more in unity and harmony with one another? And they modeled it in a beautiful, beautiful way. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. We've no. got to take up that mantle. But at least it was a picture that we have in our minds and in our hearts, like, we all long to belong. And it was a powerful, powerful moment, transcendent. It sure was. I know, I know it's a, an award show, and I also know that people roll their eyes, of course, uh, during award season, Grammys, Oscars, you name it. But there's something to be said. I mean, it's a, for better or worse, oftentimes worse, a stamp on where we are as a culture. And of course, you know, there was a lot of <laughs> smut and a lot of weirdness with the Grammys as well, because that's the state For of sure. popular music. But all things considered, I thought it was a really excellent night where we showed, you know, the, the beauty and the brutality of singing and songwriting. Yes. Again, kind of a reminder, you know, in one place of the beauty and the brokenness. I mean, even in the, the the memorial piece that they did, which was 17 minutes long. Wow. Like that that piece was 17 minutes and you had Stevie Wonder and John Baptiste and then Annie Lennox doing Nothing Compares to You, yeah. the Sinead O'Connor song. Like, oh, my gosh. And I, I don't know about you, John, but I, but I do know we're, we're similar in age and we're seeing 
so many artists that we grew up with Go who on. are past. Yeah. And it's like, whew. Yeah, the the reality of our own our own uh, limited resource of of life here on Earth, uh, just just a, a strong reminder of that. Yep, it truly was. And then, of course, you you know you can't make this stuff up. Uh, a rap star, Killer Mike, who that night won three Grammys. I mean, he swept the rap category. He walks off stage, and then he's arrested, uh, put in handcuffs, and taken to a police station for apparently some assault that happened. I mean, there's the full circle of the culture right there, Terry. I know. Isn't that amazing? Like yeah. you said, he won three Grammys. He's, you know, he's in cuffs. He can't carry his Grammys away with him. But <laughs> Killer Mike gets arrested on site. What oh, my God. Only in America. Part of, me, part of me is like, is that is this a publicity stunt? That's what it felt like, like, like yeah. <laughs> is this real? It really did, yeah. <laughs> but I want to say, like, I want to talk about one more piece, and that is the performance by Joni Mitchell. Mm. song 1972-73 maybe and there's Joni Mitchell coming on stage and she like Tracy Chapman rarely performs and here's Joni Mitchell at the age of 80 backed by some great stars of today as well talk about that there think about the the brilliance of writing that song when she did as a young woman and then singing that with all of this life history behind her now. Hmm. I've looked at clouds. I've looked at life. I've looked at love from both sides now. Wouldn't you love to know what's in her head and her heart as she's singing that now, 80 years old? And isn't that the truth, though? Like, we're all on this journey, and music invites us into this journey. Like, we look at life. We look at the different dynamics of life one way, and part of the journey of life is to say, boy, I don't know what I don't know, but I'm going to be open and curious, and I want God to teach me and show me what I don't know, but I need to know. Yeah. And, and that was one of the beautiful things about Jesus. Jesus was willing to look at, at life from so many different angles and perspectives. Yep. And so for me to see Joni at 80 singing that both sides now, just a reminder of like, am I, am I open Am I open to the journey? Am I open to what the Spirit wants to to teach me? And or life isn't static. It's there's a dynamism to it, and God is leading uh, me on that journey, and and all of us on that journey if we if we choose to participate. I'm into mm. that. 
Terry Tim from Christ Community Church of the South Hills. We're talking about U2, the Grammys. We'll take a quick break. The conversation continues in a few minutes. It's the ride home. Look at Spritz Christian Talk. It's the ride home. talking music with Terry Tim. Started out with U2, then we talked about the Grammys. And so, Terry, uh, music, especially as we uh, approach the Lord, it unites us. It connects us on a deeper level, doesn't it? It sure does. Uh, that song we just heard, How Great Thou Art, people of faith have been singing that song for 75 years. Nice. And, and that version we just listened to is a, a group of 16 Christian and country artists who came together recently. They recorded that, and the proceeds from that song are going to support aid to people in Ukraine. Hmm. But I, I think about that song and how many people, not only here in the United States, but around the world, have lifted up their voice to our God and our Creator, how great thou art. The greatness of our God, of all of the things of the earth, our God is greater. And and music is this invitation to unite our voices, to unite our hearts, and to worship our great God. Hmm. And, and one of the things, um, you know, we're created in the image of God, and, and music is powerful. God in the creation, uh, there's this beautiful, there's this beautiful text in, in Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. I, ju- I just read it to our listeners. The Lord, your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take delight in you and in his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but God will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that phenomenal? Like, not only is the invitation for us to sing to God, but one of the reasons we sing is we image God because God is a God who sings over us. What music, like? is, music is built into the fabric of God and into the fabric of creation. Hmm. It, in Job chapter 8, you know, you say, Job, where were you when the morning stars sang together in joy? Like, like God is saying, like, from the very beginning, music, song, it's built into the creation. The stars were singing. And, and so we are invited into the power and the dynamism of music. And it helps us bring the fullness of ourselves, body, mind, soul, and spirit to God. <laughs> What would that sound like? What will that sound like, I should say? God singing over us. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to I imagine. Know. It, 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 it's like every once in a while in my quiet time, I'm like, I want to I lean in. I want to hear God singing 
over me. And <laughs> and I haven't heard the audible voice yet, but I, I believe there, there's the voiceless voice of God singing over uh, me and over us. And one day, this grand chorus, we're, we're going to be worshiping God, singing to God, and God is going to join in and sing over us and, and bless us with God's voice. And yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be way better than it was at the sphere. I, I can tell you, <laughs> but, but the sphere or those moments at the Grammys and the moments that we have in corporate worship, I would say are a foretaste of what is to come. And so when you, when you experience those moments, savor them. And let them be a longing for more and more and more and more. Amen. Because that's what God invites us to. Terry Tim, Christ Community Church of the South Hills. Terry, talk to us about uh, worship with Christ Community, when and where and how. Yeah, we love to sing at our church. We do a lot of music and uh, we we worship at 10 o'clock at 905 East McMurray Road in McMurray, uh, we're doing a cool thing right now. We're actually sharing a building with uh, St. David's Episcopal Church. Uh, and so it's a lot of fun connecting and sharing that space, being good stewards of the space. We have a beautiful worship space. And uh, we're we're actually coming into the season of Lent uh, next week, Ash Wednesday. And uh, we'll be pursuing kind of the way of the cross. But, yeah, we, we'd love to see if you uh, any of your listeners are looking for a church. And uh, we love the Lord and we love the power of music. Amen. Terry, friend, thank you. It's always a great pleasure to have you with us. You're the best. Uh, it's great to be with you, John. Thanks for the conversation. Terry Tim, Christ Community Church of the South Hills, do yourself a favor. Stop by and sing with that congregation. We'll take a quick break. Come back. We're underway. It's the Ride Home, Pittsburgh's Christian Talk on Word FM. Kath, uh, of all the many apps on your phone, uh, is Nextdoor on there? Yes. Oh, oh. And and how is that for you? You enjoy that? Well, it started out okay, John. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, trying to keep in touch with what's happening in my neighborhood. Yeah. If, you know, somebody lost their dog or, you know, there was, you know, somebody's cat ended up on someone else's porch. Yeah. Now, Mm -hmm. it's crazy town. Yep. Well, there's an opinion piece in today's Wall Street Journal. Uh, Here's the opening sentence. Are you bummed you weren't around when the Stasi ruled? (laughs) Do you wish you could have been one of Mao Zedong's millions of neighborhood snitches? Maybe watch the Red Guards drag off your least favorite aunt? Not to worry. The bad old days are back, thanks to next door. <laughs> and then it goes into what you might imagine is available on next door and people's crazy behavior. Everyone's paranoid. Everyone's complaining. Everyone sees a slow-moving car going down the street or someone who's not, you know, your ethnicity. And all of a sudden, I'm calling the cops or I'm going to go out and confront someone. And it's, if, not, it's, if it's in your neighborhood, it's in my neighborhood. And if it's in my neighborhood, it's all across the country. So something that, of course, was created to engage each other as neighbors has now become a black a black eye. For okay, all of so us. it's not just my next door. App. Nope, nope, no. The um, hilarious podcast, which I don't follow, called "I've Had It," f- uh, found this the other day. I've seen a suspicious person now numerous times. Someone posted, aged mid fifties and white, drives a luxury car, but never seems to go to work. Not sure how this person affords to do this. Hence, I'm reporting him to the IRS. Stay vigilant. Come on. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just... And, and this, Who would report somebody to the IRS? That is low-quality behavior. If you're working from home or retired or whatever, and you're living on next do door... People, are, we live in this really weird paranoid age, do we not? Yeah, that's what the everyone, whole cons- the whole Taylor Swift conspiracy theory thing. That is so off the chain. And so everyone's the enemy. Everyone's against me. Everyone's you know other than. So next door allows us to engage in these conspiracy theories and to report on each other. Can you imagine what the police are doing right now? How many how many calls are coming into the cops from next door because of someone's weird paranoia? I'm sure it's changed policing in this country. I don't know. I mean, the the reason that I got off of it is just the same reason why social media in general is so poisonous. Because it's mean and ugly. It's, it's just mean and ugly. Yeah. Like, what is the big deal? I just want to find out, like, when someone's building a new building, like, what restaurant it's going to be. Are we not called to be light? Maybe that's the best place to be light, but one of them is on next door. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.